Take your Bibles and turn to Job 13. Job 13. I hadn't planned to do so when I finished the message last Sunday night on the subject of what hurting people need. But in uh, reading in uh, the book of Job uh, this week and and, uh, and even this morning, just in my Bible reading, uh, I'm not planning to, to preach on this the text, but the Lord put these thoughts on my heart this morning for you, and I believe this is what the Lord would have me to give you today. If you weren't able to hear the message last Sunday night, I hope you'll go and, and uh, listen to it. It's available. I preached on again on the subject, what hurting people need. This morning, I want to speak to you on the subject, what hurting people need to do. What hurting people need to do. Our text is found in Job 13, and stand with me out of respect for the Word of God, and read just three simple verses together with me, verses 13 and 14 and 15. Job chapter 13, and three verses, 13, 14, and 15 aloud together. Ready? Hold your peace. Let me alone, that I may speak, and let come on me what will. Wherefore do I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in mine hand? Pain mine own ways before me. It's a powerful statement there at the beginning. Verse number 15, Job says, What hurting people need to do. Father, please once more, through the power of shepherd's souls this morning, comfort, divine comforter to the hurting one, perhaps even some direction to the hurting one today. If there be somebody here today not saved, please convict their heart and draw them to the Savior in Jesus' name. I visited one of our folks this week. He's going through a difficult question in the conversation. They brought it up. So I won't say it exactly the way they said it, but I won't phrase it exactly the same way. Somebody I love is asking questions. It happened to good people. How could how could it be? I'm not going to preach on this end, but let me just say right off the bat, all have sinned and come We're all sinners saved by the grace of God. Amen. This world is broken, not because of any spurn, the one who can help you in a broken world. Amen. But I understand that in pain, sometimes people ask questions, and many have come to the conclusion and are good people. And so thus, if bad things happen to someone, well, it must mean there's something bad in their life. And that would certainly be a good man we mentioned this morning in the Sunday school hour. And again, I won't give detail. Aged mother in captivity right now. Their life hangs in the balance. Please pray. Being beaten. And while you and I are enjoying these comfortable discomfort they have is, is, is uh, putrid water. No food, no sustenance, no water, no clean water. And uh, to you, God didn't do that. God didn't do that. Even in a broken world. But my dear friend that I spoke with this week uh, was put forth here in the book of Job. We studied it on last week. We could say in a paraphrase that Job's friend's conclusion concerning the suffering of their friend was simply this. Bad things. Bad things don't happen to good people. We understand bad things happen to bad people, but why would bad things happen to good people? If there's a God that's just and a loving God, He would let bad. And if you just need to fess up and tell everybody how bad and wicked you are, and then you can get past the assumption. 
We read in the message on last Sunday night of Eliphaz. Evidently, I just paraphrase from what he said in the fourth chapter. He said, whoever being, nobody, nobody ever was perished or punished, if you will, had a, some tragic ending because they were innocent. Obviously, you're not innocent, Job. Then Bildad chimed in in chapter number 8 and said, uh, uh, Doth the Almighty pervert justice? That was low. That was that was low. All of Job's children died in one day. If thou wert pure, surely now God uh, would awake for thee. In other words, God is not... Obviously, you're the problem, Job. And Zophar chimed in lastly in chapter 11. I paraphrase it. You're getting a lot less than you deserve, buddy. No wonder Job called them miserable comforters. He said, miserable comforters are you all. You're getting a lot less than you deserve, buddy. Thank you, but no thank you. Don't comfort me. But these men, like so many even in our day to day, come to this conclusion that somehow, right, in living for God and we're a good person, so to speak, that bad things should not happen. Because someone just now in my mind, in, in my office, have said to me, yeah, I just don't believe that if, in so many words, if you, if, I don't believe it's God's will for bad things to happen to people. And if you, if you have enough faith in this and that, then, then you won't get sick, for example, or something. I know God loves His children, wants to bless His children, but you have a hard time squaring that with the whole of Scripture. You can take some scriptures, absolutely, and you could, you could make that case with select scriptures. But I think when you tell as a whole, you'll have a hard time making the case that bad things don't happen to good people. The unjust, amen? Second Corinthians 11. The Apostle Paul, Exhibit A. The Apostle Paul said, he enumerated, in fact, for us, all the horrible things that he went through. The suffering. He said in 2 Corinthians 11, Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes. Thrice I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. That was at Lystra. And he actually, Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I've been in the deep. It was on the open waters. A night and a day. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers. In perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils, perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watching sleepless nights, often in hunger and thirst, in fastings, often in cold and nakedness. He jumped across the column to chapter 12 and he said, Three times I asked the Lord to take this thorn in the flesh away from me. There was a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. You have a hard time explaining the sufferings of the Apostle Paul under the assumption that he thought about Joseph. 17-year-old young man, kidnapped, sold into slavery, sold again to Potiphar's house. 13, never spoke to his family, never communicated with his family. He lost everything from 17 to age 30. And then suddenly God raised him up and used him in a mighty way. Amen. There's a little phrase you'll find repeated several times in that in those several chapters telling the narrative of Joseph's life. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with them. The Lord, in prison, the Lord was with them. In the pit, the Lord was with them. Amen. And God suffered wrongfully. Yes, he did. He didn't deserve that. It wasn't punishment. It was preparation. 
The, said could be, the same could be said of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And uh, 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 announced Jesus Christ. Behold the Lamb of God which take away the sin of the world. Baptized the Lord Jesus Christ. A second cousin to the Lord Jesus Christ. A power. I brought to the pulpit with me this picture of the trail. It's pinned up in my prayer closet. With his family. And he was martyred just a couple of weeks ago. I submit to you into heaven with a martyr's crown. Amen. And joy and rejoicing and commendation, not condemnation. Amen. Amen. Now that doesn't square with if you uh, are doing what you're supposed to do that everything's going to go good in your life. That doesn't square with that. The man right now that's kidnapped, trying to win people to Christ, being mistreated by the people he's trying to win to Christ, that doesn't square with that philosophy. Our people suffer. Uh, God doesn't always tell us why, but I know this. Good people do so. The Fox's Book of Martyrs. What are you going to do with all the martyrs of all the ages? What are you going to do with them during his earthly ministry? Sons of thunder, sons of uh, 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 and sons of thunder. These men were, were powerful men of God, but they were trying to position them. They could sit on either side of you. Maybe one of us on the right, maybe one of us on the left. This is what Jesus said. He said, you know not what you think of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. He's not talking about baptism means immersion. It's not talking about the immerse. And the cup that he's talking about, it's not a cup of water. He's talking about the cup of with. I said, I'm getting ready to be immersed in suffering. And they said unto him, we can. We can. Jesus said to them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of. They still didn't know what he's talking about. And with the baptism that I'm baptized with, talking about one thing, he was talking about another thing. And what Jesus said about these men came true. John was banished to the Isle of Patmos. James was beheaded by Agrippa I. Matthew went to Ethiopia in AD 60 and was pinned to the ground and beheaded. Pastor of the church in Jerusalem was thrown from a tower and had his head then smashed in Fuller's Club. Matthias, who took Judas' place there in Acts chapter number 1, was stoned to death and then beheaded. Andrew, the brother of Peter, was crucified on an X-shaped cross and preached against uh, the, the, the uh, ceremony to the idol Serapis. And he was drugged to death through the streets. In AD 72, Peter, at his request was uh, crucified, upside, beaten, and then crucified. Thomas went to Kamina, India, was tortured, speared, and put in an oven in Greece in AD 93. These men were baptized with the cup of suffering, with all those men who went to receive the martyr's crown in heaven and with the philosophy that because I'm trying to do good, everything in my life is supposed to be good. No, it doesn't square. So what do you do? You're hurting. Go back to Job chapter number 1 with me. Job chapter number 1. I've read Job chapter 1 before they started talking. <laughs> His name was Job. And that man was perfect. Just that, that just means he gave God his best. It means he gave God his best. It doesn't mean he was sinful. All in with God. He gave God his best. And upright wasn't any, no duplicity in him. He wasn't one way at home and one way in public. And one that feared God, he was a God-fearing man. And eschewed, he hated and avoided evil. 
Now, this is pretty up. Days of their feasting were going about. Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and a burnt offering according to the number of them all. He's talking about praying and sacrificing to God on behalf of his children. He prayed. The Bible later would tell us Satan would have a conversation with God and said, Job, he was a God-fearing, upright, straightforward, honest man who served God with all of his heart. He was a praying man. Down in verse number 8, God said to Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there's none like you that hateth and avoideth evil? Listen, Job's life and testimony doesn't square. Was a man whom God put as an example to all of us today, and an example even to Satan himself. Amen. And yet, he's about to assume in history. So what does a hurting people do? Let me give you just a few simple points. What do you do? Chapter 1 and chapter Job, his financial, he was very, he was the greatest man in the East, the Bible said, is very, very. Verses 14, without reading, taking time to read all these verses, verse 14 down through verse 17, come waves of financial ruin. His camels, uh, uh, his oxen, his asses, all of them are completely wiped out. One man escapes to tell him about the tragedy. In verse number 19, all of his children in a moment of time, unspeakable loss. This man suffered, verses 4 down through verse number 7, to be completely ruined physically. Last Sunday night, the Bible describes through the book of Job, Suffer, boils, severe itching, sleeplessness, open running sores, nightmare, horribly sick man. And to top it off, verse 9 and 10, his own wife turned on him and said, I'm done with this marriage. She said, curse God and die. So chapter 1 and chapter 2 describe the tragic story. I want to take it up in verse number 9. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. Verse number 10. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. Look at this answer. Chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 2. I hope I spoke that right. Chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. In verse number 10. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What shall we receive good? At the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. I call these two verses an initial grace that God gave to Job. The tragedies are enumerated one after another after another, beginning in the middle of chapter 1 all the way to chapter number 7. He loses financial ruin, uh, unspeakable grief, losing his children, and now then his health is gone. After that narrative is over, we get his wife's opinion about it. Curse God! She's ready to turn her back on God. How could a good God let all these horrible things happen to her? And she says, I've had enough of this. And he says, shall we receive good and not evil? And all this he would not sin with his lips. You know, I think God manifests his grace when a person goes through a tragedy, maybe a tragic, some of you may have experienced this, through a tragic accident, for example, or some tragedy takes place, and God puts the body, He made the body to go into shock. 
For many people, that's the only way they could survive. The level of pain is such. I've heard people, uh, talk to people who went through unspeakable, their bodies broken, uh, uh, and, and they would feel much, much pain later. But in that moment of the tragedy and the accident, whatever it was, I'm talking about, I'm, I'm talking about trauma. I'm talking about like, like a limb nearly torn off or that, that kind of a thing. Felt no pain whatsoever. Their body's in shock. I think that's a manifestation of the grace of God. Do they get some help and get them put back together? I think Job is in this spot right here. All of, keep this in mind. This all happened at one time. There's one right after the other. Uh, 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 that, that, that one servant comes in, another servant comes in, another servant comes in. And you talk about heaped upon, heaped upon, heap of tragedy. That's what Job and his wife is there and she hears this. She breaks, she snaps. She says, curse God and die. Let's get this over with. And Job is in that initial grace and said, we can't do that, wife. God's been faithful to us. We can't do that. He sent us good and now evil. He still, we can't turn our back on him. And Job sinned not with his lips. The tragic story. The initial grace. And then in verse 11 through 13 of chapter 2 comes the unspeakable grief. We find in verse 11 now... When Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came, everyone from his own place, Eliphaz, the Timonite, Bildad, the Shuhite, Zophar, the Namathite. For they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not, they lifted up their voice and wept. They saw him and didn't hardly know him. And they rent every one his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads toward heaven. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights. And none spake a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. These are dear friends who come from a great distance. They see Job at a distance. They hardly know him. He's so disfigured from the disease that's racked, has racked his body, just the grief that's racked his mind and his soul. And what happens then uh, in those verses, 11, 12, and 13, is, is, is unspeakable gift, grief. Seven days, nobody says a word. Seven days, Job doesn't speak. Eliphaz doesn't speak. Bildad doesn't speak. So far doesn't speak. Unspeakable grief. And then chapter 3. Job opens his mouth. And what does he do? He cursed. He cursed his day. Job has gone from an initial, I think, an initial incredible supernatural phase of grace to a time of unspeakable grief. And now, I believe there's some anger bowling up inside of him. It's in this chapter that we first see Job asking God why. Look at verse number 11. Why? Why, God, died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the bed? Why did the knees prevent me? Or why the breast that I should suck? For now should I have lain still and been quiet? Why didn't you just let me die? Why wasn't I stillborn? You'll ask these questions many times to the book of Job. Verse number 23. Why is light given to a man whose way is hid? The anguish is chapter 3. 
the questions, the anguish. But then begins the largest portion of the book of Job, chapter 4 through chapter 37. Now those dear friends sat quietly and grieved with Job and out of respect for him would not speak until he spoke. And seven days Job didn't speak. Finally he spoke. And they'd have been good friends if they'd just kept their mouth shut. But they opened their mouth beginning in chapter 4. In chapter 4, then Eliphaz the Temanite answered. He had something to say. After him came Bildad and then Zophar. And for these chapters, for 30, uh, 34 chapters, these men go back and forth. And let me tell you what happened. Job got caught up in arguing with his friends. That's what he did. I'll show you an example. Turn with me over to chapter 29. I'll just by way of example. These men come with their accusations. Job, if you were right with God, this wouldn't happen to you. Job, you just need to confess. Job, you need to get right. They all said it in a little different way, but the bottom line is bad things don't happen to good people, and and, and so bad things are happening to you, so you must have done some things bad once you get right. Job is arguing his defense in chapter 29. Moreover, Job continued his parable and said, Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God preserved me. I wish it was still like it was when God had that hedge of protection around me. Verse 3, when his candle shined upon my head and when by his light I walked through darkness, when my life was filled with sunshine. Verse 4, as I was in the days of my youth when the secret of God was upon my tabernacle, when I enjoyed intimate fellowship with God. Verse 5, when the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were about me, when when I was enjoying God's presence and all my children were safe and, and healthy. Verse 6, when I washed my steps with butter and the rock poured me out rivers of oil. When we had everything we needed as a family and more. Verse 7, when I went out to the gate to the city. That was the place of, of, of commerce and decision making. When I prepared my seat in the street. In other words, when I enjoyed great influence in my community. Now he's abandoned by his community. Verse 8, the young men saw me and hid themselves. And the aged arose up and stood up. The folks young and old respected me back then. Verse 9, the princes refrained talking. Leaders refrained talking and laid their hand on their mouth. But leaders would listen to what I had to say. Verse 10, the nobles held their peace. And their tongue claved to the roof of their mouth. The, the influential people wanted my advice. They want to hear what I had to say. Verse 11, when the ear heard me, then it blessed me. And when the eye saw me, it gave witness to me. Folks were always happy to see me. They said, hey, there's Job. Verse 12, because I delivered the poor. That cried, he's given the reasons why he was so respected and loved. Because I delivered the poor. That cried. And the fatherless of him that had none to help him. That seat he mentioned 
at the gate of the city in the previous verses speaks of a seat of judgment. Job was in the leadership of the city. He was a decision maker. He was a judge, if you will. He was a part of a group of people who made decisions. And, and, and like a judge uh, would sit on the bench in our, in our modern time. He said, I was, he said, I delivered the poor. He said, I took care of the orphan. I looked out for the poor. When a person had no one else to look after them, he said, I took that case. I looked after them. Verse 13, the blessing of him that was ready to perish came upon me. Well, somebody was on their deathbed. Somebody was about to die. I'm the one they called. I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I'm the one that brought joy to the grieving widow. That was me. Verse 14, I I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My judgment was as a robe and a diadem. He said, I was one of the folks, I was, I was the one that folks trusted to do the right thing always and to be just. The judgment there, justice. Verse 15, I was eyes to the blind and feet was I to the lame. I defended the vulnerable and the less fortunate. That's what I did with my wealth. That's what I did with my influence. That's what I did with my power. Verse 16, I was a father to the poor. And the cause which I knew not, I searched out. Again, a reference to his his position in the system of judgment of this day. What he said is, I searched out the facts of every case and I made sure that justice was done no matter what a person's station in life. Poor, rich, didn't matter. I was the guy that was going to make sure the right thing was done. Verse 17, I break the jaws of the wicked. And plucked the spoil out of his teeth. When wickedness was exposed, I made sure justice was swift and decisive. Verse 17, then I said, I shall die in my nest. And I shall multiply my days as the same. I had my security and I had my health. And I never imagined my life would be anything other than what it was. I had my nest. I had a long life ahead of me. Verse 19, my root was spread out by the waters and the dew lay all night upon my branch. He said, I was flourishing. I was at the top of my game. I was at the prime of my life. Verse 20, my glory was fresh in me and my bow was renewed in my hand. I felt great and was looking forward to many more happy, healthy years. Last night I preached for Brother Jerry Steins in Granite Falls, North Carolina. I didn't know he had a stroke a couple years ago. I didn't even know it. And we were sitting at the table there. He said, Brother Shook, I got talking a little bit, catching up. He said, I, it was two years ago, I think it was two or three years ago. He said, I walked down the hallway, I walked down my office. I believe he said he was in his office. I walked down the hallway. And he said, I, he said, I, I put my hand up like this. He said, it just it was a great, had been a great morning. And he said, I feel so strong today. And it's a good godly man. I feel so strong today. He said, the next moment, I had a stroke. I collapsed on the ground. God put me in the hospital. And God said, when you're weak, that's when you're strong. He said, God said, you need to learn a little something about being weak. Job 
29 and verse 21. Unto me men gave ear and waited and kept silence at my counsel. My counsel meant something to people. Verse 22, after my words they spake not again, and my speech dropped upon them. He said, man, once I spoke, once I weighed in on a decision, the matter was considered settled. Verse 23, they waited for me as for the rain, and they opened their mouth wide as far as the latter rain. If I laughed on them, they believed it not, and the light of my countenance they cast not down. I chose out their way and sat chief and dwelt as a king in the army, as one that comforted the mourners. My judgments, here's what he said, my judgments, my decisions, my influence was refreshing like the rain falling on, on parched faces. He said, I was a blessing wherever I went. Now here's my point. All this is true. This does describe Job, the greatest man in the East, the man that was upright, the man that eschewed evil, the man that prayed and sacrificed daily, prayed a hedge of protection. He was a good, godly, upstanding, upright man, an example of what all of us ought to be. Now here's what Job has fallen into. Job, who's he talking to? He's talking to these friends who want to condemn him. These friends who want to straighten him out. These friends who say bad things don't happen to good people. You obviously done something bad. And Job fell into the trap for 34 chapters of going back and forth with these guys. You say, how's this going to wind up? (laughs) Remember what happens in chapter 38? Turn over there. Now, I'm, I'm for the home team. I'm pulling for Job. Amen? When I read chapter 4 through chapter 37. I'm pulling for Job. Man, I want to I kick those other guys in the teeth. I want God to throw them off the pages of Scripture. I want Him to, I want him to commend Job. I want Him to exalt Job and let the world see what a good man Job was. I mean, He did in chapter 1. How come He couldn't do it in chapter 38? But that's not what He does in chapter 38. What does He do? In chapter 38 begins a series of questions. All the way, no wonder I can't find them in the book of Psalms. Job 38. Then the Lord answered Job by the whirlwind. What follows in chapter 38, 39, 40. And a portion of 41 down through verse 14 is 84 questions that God fires at Job. Do you know what the Bible says? Proverbs 13.10 Only by pride cometh what? Contention. You know what happened from chapter 4 to chapter 4 through chapter 37? Job's pride got the best of him. Job argued. He contended with his friends. Now here's the thing about it. Much of what his friend says, his friends said, was true. Some of the things his friends told him. Now, they, they had the wrong outlook for sure. But they spoke much truth. They were wise in many ways. They were wrong on this assumption that Job was bad and God was punishing him. Not That was not the case. Job uh, goes through this, uns- this, this, this horrible tragedy... Then there's this brief phase of, of, of incredible supernatural grace. Then he falls into this seven days of unspeakable grief. And then he starts 
getting angry and contending with his friends. And for all those days thereafter, we don't have all the conversations recorded here. We got 34 chapters of it. The men that were his friends, many of the things they said were true. What everything Job said here in chapter 29, that one chapter, every bit of that's true. That is truly who Job was. And they're arguing back and forth. Hey, let me tell you something. Your trial, listen, your suffering, your pain is not so you can spend the rest of your life trying to argue your case. You have a daysman. You have an attorney. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has direct access to the throne of God in heaven. And you don't need to argue your case. Let him argue your case. Just walk humbly with him. He said, I just don't understand why. Job didn't understand why either. Don't argue your way through life contending. You know what should have happened? All the way back to Job chapter number 4. When Eliphaz spoke up. You know what would have been nice? End of chapter 4. Excuse me, uh, into, he spoke two chapters, chapter 4 and 5. Wouldn't have been nice to end of chapter 5. Job just sat there. God bless you, Eliphaz. I don't think he would have gotten that, that scathing questions. But what happened? He like you, like I, when I'm hurt. And someone treats us unjustly. What do we want to do? We want to defend ourselves. That's just human nature, isn't it? That's what Job did. And you know what happened? Job, by the time we get by the time we get over to chapter thirty eight, Job is tied in knots. He's angry at the world. He's wanting to die. He he's, he's ticked off at his friends. And he's still not better. God wants to bless Job, but you know what he's got to do? He's got to humble him. What can you do? Trust God. Trust God. You don't. God may. You see, you may not. You may not understand until you get to heaven. But I can promise you this: there's a God in heaven, and He's not aloof, and He knows what's going on in our lives. Amen. What can a hurting person do? Trust God. Trust God. Job, in that moment of grace in chapter 13, our text, verse 15, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. I love that little song. I was born in 1970. And John Peterson wrote it in 1970. When I cannot understand God's leading, when I do not know the reason why, he should choose the path that lies before me. Still to him in faith I can reply. I will trust when I cannot see. When I'm faced with adversity and believe your will is always best for me, I will trust when I cannot see. What do hurting people need to do? Number one, trust God. Number two, reaffirm what you believe. Reaffirm what you believe. I was impressed last weekend at our couple's retreat. Brother Goddard and his dear wife, so faithful, four decades plus. Faithful, faithful. Stayed the same, haven't changed. And boy, they've been through the fire. Devil's done everything he could to get them discouraged. And they just kept on doing the right thing. And he showed us this little booklet to the couple's. He said, things I confirmed in the valley. 
I thought, man, that's great. You know, it's one thing to say you believe something when everything's going well. It's another thing to go through the fire and say, I still believe. I still believe. You've heard the story, and I, I love to tell it, Dave Reaver's story. If you, you look it up, you know, listen to it. It's testimony. He was uh, in Vietnam and and uh, and uh, was on a, a riverboat on the Mekong Delta. And uh, he uh, they came around the corner where they had taken sniper fire the day before, and, and they were ready where they had taken fire the day before, and he was ready. As they came around that bend in that river, he had a white, hot, a white phosphorus hand grenade, uh, a phosphorus hand grenade in his hand. It burned white hot. And he, he pulled the pin on that and went to throw that into the bush there to try to scatter anybody that would ambush him. And when he did, before he could get it out of his hand, a sniper bullet hit that grenade and exploded right next to him, knocked him off the boat, took almost all the skin off of his face, uh, uh, blinded him, uh, uh, caused him to be deaf. And he went down in that water, and he's by his testimony, you can listen to the testimony. He was going down knowing that he was going to die, and he said, he said suddenly something propelled him forward. He had been witnessing two of his bunkmates there who were God-haters and vile and wicked and perverted, and he had a Christian testimony. He'd witnessed to them. They nicknamed him a Jesus man or preacher man or something like that. He nicknamed them pervert number one and pervert number two. And they got along. He witnessed those men. They saw him pray, saw him read the Bible. They mocked all that. When Dave Reaver came out of the water in in that river, his face was literally floating on the water in front of him. He came out of that water first thing out of his mouth. He said, God, I still believe in you. And he said at that moment, pervert number one on the boat gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ. He said, it's real. It's real. Let me tell you what the valley's for. The valley is for you to go down deep in the Word of God. Job would say something incredible in this book. He'd say in the middle of this valley, he said, I have esteemed thy words more than my necessary food. When you're hurting, dear friend, yes, the doubts will come as they came to Job. Yes, and your spirit will want to rise up in your own defense and likely fall to the same snare to which Job fell and argue your case. But what you ought to do is go down deep in the book and get His promises and go back to His truths and reaffirm that He's still God and He's still good and He's still just and He's still sovereign and He still knows what He's doing in my life and in yours. Job would triumphantly say in the middle of that valley, In chapter 19, the powerful words, he'd say, I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth and though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. He said, my Savior's alive and I'm going to see him one day. Hurting people. Trust God. Hurting people, reaffirm what you believe. Hurting people, give God the glory. Give God the glory. Get to the end of the book again with me if you would. We're now in chapter 42. 
The 84 questions have humbled Job. And Job finally, in humility, speaks. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know thou canst do everything. And that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. God, here's what he's saying. He said, God, forgive me for presuming to argue with you about things I don't know anything about. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. You'd have to go back and read all those 84 verses to really understand the context of what he's saying. But God magnified himself to Job in those questions. And Job got little and God got big. And Job now has a different tune. He said, God, I have no right to question you. You're God and you're God alone. And may I say, dear friend, listen, God is still God, though the earthquake, no matter what happens in your life, He's still God. He's always the same, and He deserves the praise and honor and glory for everything in our lives. One final thought. Verse number 7. And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right as my servant Job hath. Now when I read that verse, I'm ready for God to go on another ten chapters. <laughs> he straightened out Job's friends. But it's actually very brief. Verse 8, Therefore take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and may and my servant Job shall pray for you. For him will I accept. You're not on praying grounds right now, men, but your buddy Job is. So make your sacrifices and go to Job and make it right. Lest I deal with you after your folly in that ye have not spoken of me the thing which is right like my servant Job. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuite and so far the Namathite went and did according as the Lord commanded. Then the Lord also accepted Job if you've never done it. Circle, dog ear the page, put a star by it, highlight verse number 10. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Job quit arguing. He humbled himself. He got tender again. And he said, Lord, go easy on my friends. Be merciful to them. Don't be too hard on them. Years ago, we took a bunch of teenagers to a retreat. And I preached my heart out to them that night. And I called my wife. I called Miss Shook. And I said, I feel like I'm getting through to these kids. I don't know what to preach to them. And she said, honey, you know, a lot of those kids are hurting. I said, you're right, they are. That night I meditated on what she had said to me and I began to think about the kids. And God gave me a message from Joseph's life that night on how, how Joseph dealt with his 
hurts. And I've probably preached it 12, 15 times over the years. But the last point of that message is this. How Joseph dealt with his hurts, he kept a tender heart. We find Job weeping on his brother's shoulders, the ones who sold him into slavery. Embrace them, weep on their shoulders. Somehow in all that pain, Job was able to keep a tender heart. Last thought, hurting one. Don't get bitter. Don't get bitter. Don't get bitter. Job said a remarkable thing in chapter 23, verse 16. He said this, God maketh my heart soft. Listen to that statement. God maketh my heart soft. Chapter 23, verse 16. When Job humbled himself and got tender again and began to pray, for the very ones that hurt him. The Bible says God turned things around for Job. It gave gave him back twice of what he had before the tragedies. His wife obviously came back. You say, well, what was her punishment? I guess having ten more kids, I don't know. But they had a good life that, after that. And the Bible says his daughters were the fairest in the land. Amen. Disney ain't got nothing on the book of Job. Amen. God bless Job. Let's be sure we treat the hurting folks right. They don't need somebody to be a know-it-all. They don't need somebody to talk them to death. They don't need somebody to argue with them. They need somebody to hurt with them and weep with them and pray for them. But if you are the hurting one this morning, don't get caught in what Job got caught in. Trust God. Trust God. Give Him the praise. Give Him the glory. Don't get bitter. Don't get bitter. Would you bow your heads, please?